Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, where all the women are fast, all the men are accurate, and all the children are aware of their muzzles. All right, welcome again to Gun Talk. Tom Gresham here. We are remote. We are live from Chicago, Illinois. We're at the Gun Rights Policy Conference 2011 edition. It's the 26th annual Gun Rights Policy Conference, and it has been a hoot. I'm telling you, it's just been a really exciting thing. I love coming to this because it charges your batteries up. You know, you, you get to hear other people talk about the thing you talk about all the time, but you get other presentations. I get to learn what's going on out there, and, God, there's so much going on. It's really incredible. We're going to have an amazing lineup for you today of truly the who's who in the gun rights movement. And as you know, of course, uh, we're working on a number of different levels. There is the legislative level. And then in the last mm, half dozen, dozen years, it really has become the litigation side of things where a lot of the activity has taken place and, frankly, where we have made not just monumental strides, historic strides in terms of reestablishing our gun rights. Well, at this point, it's a great pleasure to bring in the fellow who's been at the heart of that, Alan Gura is the attorney who argued the Heller case, who argued the McDonald case, who won both of those before the Supreme Court. Alan, thanks for being here. It's, we've had you on, you know, by phone before, but this is fun to do it face to face. Well, it's great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Well, absolutely. Uh, when did you, I'm just trying to think, when did you actually start on all of this? Well, I started on all of this at the uh, very beginning of what came to be the Heller case. In December of 2002, I received a phone call from Bob Levy, uh, who I knew socially in Washington. Bob is a, a scholar and uh, very active in the uh, freedom movement. Mm-hmm. And they were putting together the uh, the Heller case, and they needed somebody with a civil rights litigation background to uh, to get involved in the case and to act as lead counsel. And uh, I said, sure, it sounds like a great idea. They explained uh, the, the case to me, and I thought that was a, a fantastic opportunity. And I was very pleased to uh, to get involved, and of course, once Heller uh, was decided, that opened the door to a huge field of gun rights litigation. Well, I was just going to say, when you started this, little did you know that this would pretty much occupy your life from that point forward. That's right. There was no way to know that. I mean, we designed the case uh, for success, but we never assumed it as much, and we always approached it uh, sort of like legal nerds. You know, we love the issue. We support the right uh, to keep and bear arms, obviously. We, but it was we, a challenging legal issue for you. To, you know, you go, well, this is constitutional. This will be kind of interesting to play with. Absolutely. I mean, we, we obviously were very passionate about the issue, but at the right. same time, you can't make any assumptions about, you know, this will lead to all this stuff. You know, we, we just took it one day at a time, one step at a time. We were there to win the case and then to see how, how things unfolded from there. Well, obviously, the Heller was huge which established that from the point of the federal government, the right to keep and bear arms is an individual right. Then we have McDonald comes along behind that, which says, okay, Heller applies to the states, cities, you know, all the way down, right? Is that basically what McDonald did for us? That's right. And it's important for people to realize why we needed those two cases. And this is something I stress uh, frequently. People will ask me, you know, Alan, why aren't you suing over X, Y, Z, one, two, three, Q, and W? And I and I always respond, we have to take the issues one at a time. You have to build the foundational blocks first, and then you expand upon those decisions. So it was more than uh, enough work just in the Heller case to establish that the Second Amendment is an individual right. That right. The issue of uh, whether it binds uh, state and local governments is a whole nother huge issue, and that required a separate case. And likewise. 
we're litigating this step-by-step, brick-by-brick, building a foundation for a solid Second Amendment. Well, that kind of leads us to the most recent, the Ezell case. That's right. So, and I, I dare say there are a lot of people who have not heard about it, and if they have, they probably have no idea of the actual importance of it. Would you talk about what the Ezell case was and what we get out of it? Sure. In the wake of the McDonald decision, the city of Chicago went back to the drawing board and they enacted a wide-ranging ordinance that had a lot of uh, nonsensical and crazy restrictions. One of the things that they had in there was that they mandated that in order to have a gun in the city of Chicago, you would have to obtain and maintain uh, training every once in a while. And uh, whether that's something that the government can order you to do or not is uh, you know, an interesting question, but nobody's against training. We, of course, agree that uh, practice and training makes you a better shooter and, and a safer a shooter, and we would love it if, if people were to go out and engage in, in the shooting sports more often. However, the wrinkle in all of this is that while they mandated training, they banned gun ranges. Oh, that's a and clever little trick. So, so we, um, we noticed that the time was expiring for people to register their, their, uh, uh, their guns that they'd had, notwithstanding the previous ban. Right. And, they, and, and people in Chicago needed the training. But they couldn't get the training because there are only so many ranges in this. You had, you had to go outside the city. That's right. You had to, to get your out. training. That's right. And no one would would ever uh, uh, think that you can that you can ban bookstores just because bookstores are allowed in some other town. Uh, uh, that would never fly. Or you can ban uh, your church because, well, you know, you don't have to have it here. You can, you know, go across the state line. You can always drive over there and go to church. Yeah, no. Right. The, the, the fact is, what McDonald made clear is that the city of Chicago is bound by the Bill of Rights. This right. is America. This is a part of America, believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or and, not. <laughs> and, and the Second Amendment applies fully here. So banning gun ranges in a 230-square-mile city uh, is, a, is a clear violation of your Second Amendment right to fire a gun. And the opinion we got was... Dramatic. We really, it went be, even beyond that. We got some real benefits out of this. We right? got a lot of benefits, and there's no way that I could explain all of them, you know, in the time allotted on this show. But uh, just the the major highlights. First of all, the court agreed with us that you do have a Second Amendment right to practice and train with a firearm and to go shooting. What else would you do with a gun? And even if the only thing you want to do with your gun is have it at home for self-defense, still. In order to do that effectively and responsibly, you need to know how to use your firearm. Right. And, and you need to have access to a range. So we established that was a right. Okay. Uh, we established that if the government is violating your Second Amendment rights, you have what the law calls irreparable harm. That is, you can proceed immediately to seek an injunction against the restriction. You don't have to wait for a trial. And that was big, right? That was very big. And that's what enables us to, to go to court and get... Uh, faster decisions. The court accepted that if you're being deprived of the right to keep and bear arms, you, know, you might get hurt. You know, it's, bad things could happen. So it enables us to get injunctions, for instance. That's correct. Okay. And so uh, that, of course, enabled us now to file a lawsuit against um, Illinois' complete ban on carrying guns and seek immediate injunctive relief. We're waiting for it, but at least it opened the door for us to be able sure. to do that. Uh, the other great thing about, about Ezel is that while some people uh, who live in rural areas might be able to uh, go in the backyard or on their land and uh, plink at, uh, at whatever, right. for most people, the right to access a gun range means you got to go outside your house and you have to go to a range. And so this secures the Second Amendment outside the home. It's an example of of uh, of, of 
of a demonstration of, of how the Second Amendment applies beyond the threshold of, of your house. Which puts to lie what a lot of the gun control groups have said was, Heller only means you get to have a gun inside your home. Yeah, that's complete nonsense. I mean, that, Heller does not say that. The Supreme Court wrote a very lengthy opinion in, in the Heller case. They obviously gave it some thought. And in our judicial system, those opinions are instructions to the lower courts. They're mm-hmm. supposed to guide future cases because the value of the opinion is not just the ultimate decision. They can do that in one sentence. You win, you lose. Right. Here's the result. The value of the opinion is its reasoning because that is the precedent that guides future cases and, and shapes the law. So when the other side says that Heller only applies if your first name is Dick and you live on you know Kentucky Avenue Southeast, that's nonsense. And, and that's not the way that our legal system works. And courts that uh, take that view, we look very forward to uh, to having the Supreme Court um, examine their, their decisions. <laughs> All right. Alan, hold on just a second. We're talking with Alan Gura, who, of course, uh, won the Heller case, won the McDonald case. We're at the Gun Rights Policy Conference in Chicago. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, yes, there are a lot of cases being filed of people using the Second Amendment and Heller as their defense. And, frankly, there's some real problems there. And Alan Gura is going to be talking about that. perfect concealed carry gun, it's the Taurus 740, but you can call it slim. The Taurus Slim is a lightweight design and thinner than any other 40 caliber in its class. No revealing lines or lumps makes this the perfect concealed carry gun. Winner of the 2011 Golden Bullseye Award from NRA's American Rifleman Magazine, it's the Taurus 740, but you can call it slim. See more at TaurusUSA.com. When selling your guns, you want someone you can trust to be fair and professional. That's Dury's Gun Shop. Whether you're selling a single gun, estate guns, or your entire collection, Dury's handles all types of firearms, and they'll travel anywhere in the U.S. to inspect and purchase your collection. I'm Tom Gresham. When we sold the guns in my father's estate, I called Dury's. They were professional and made it easy. Dury's, in business since 1959. Visit Dury'sGuns.com. That's D-U-R-Y-S Guns.com. For an honest appraisal and fair price, it's Dury's. Successful hunters know big bucks move early and late, often when it's too dark for common scopes. When that monster steps out, you might see him through the scope, but the crosshairs disappear. All that work and you can't take the shot. But with the Trigicon AccuPoint scope, you'll get the shot. Its bright aiming point glows in daylight or darkness. No batteries needed. AccuPoint scopes are water-resistant and nitrogen-filled, feature multi-layer coated lenses for the brightest image, and you can adjust brightness of the aiming point to match the conditions. Adding 10 or 15 minutes to each end of the day can double the magic moments when the trophies move. You can't hit the target if you can't see the sights. Trigicon AccuPoint scopes. Check out the different models at Trigicon.com or call 1-800-338-0563. Brilliant aiming solutions from Trigicon. It's more than a new set of features. It's about raising your expectations of what a polymer pistol should be. It's about creating a new standard of value. Welcome to the XDM. Shouldn't you have one? To see the gun that everyone is talking about, go to springfield-armory.com. 
That's springfield-armory.com. All right, back with you, Tom Gresham. It is Gun Talk from the Gun Rights Policy Conference in Chicago. Why do we come to Chicago? Because this is the only state where there's absolutely no legal way to have concealed carry or open carry. You can't carry a gun for self-protection in Illinois, period. We're talking with Alan Gura. He has been described as the rock star of uh, our movement. And, yeah, you win Heller, you win McDonald, and you win Ezell. Yeah, you, you get that title. Uh, but one of the things you pointed out when you were speaking this weekend was very interesting. And you said, yes, there are a lot of cases going to court where people are claiming Second Amendment rights, and they're losing, and it's it's hurting us. Would you describe that and tell me what's going on here? Sure. Our object is to make the Second Amendment a normal part of the Bill of Rights. And nobody believes that the Supreme Court got the First Amendment down perfectly or the Fourth Amendment down perfectly. So it's not realistic for us to expect that within 10 or 20 years, we're going to have a perfect outcome in every case. Having said that, we're going to do a lot better if we bring good cases as opposed to if we bring uh, lousy cases. Uh, about a week or so ago, I was debating a gentleman from the Brady Center, and just about everything he said was a complete distortion or fantasy. But there was one thing he said that was kind of right. Mm-hmm. And he uh, was bragging about the fact how their side has won over 400 cases. And I suppose that is true if you count all the, the junk cases that uh, they get filed. And some of these we can't really do too much about. Uh, the criminal defense bar has a duty to represent their clients zealously. And so you're going to see cases where... You know, the the crack dealer says he needs to have a gun to rob the post office, and, you know, that's not going to make good law so, for us. So they're, they're claiming second defense, or Second Amendment as a defense on some of these cases, and they just get slapped down. That's so. right. But but the real danger is, is the people who uh, believe that because they are right or because they have a very strong set of emotional uh, beliefs about the Second Amendment, that that qualifies them, A, to be the plaintiff in a case, and or B, to litigate the case. Um, and the fact of the matter is that not everyone is, you know, makes a great, <clears throat> makes a great plaintiff. Not everyone uh, has the uh, expertise and resources to litigate a strategic civil rights case. And so while there are some cases out there that are, you know, pretty good, I don't do all the good cases, there are also a lot of horrible cases out there that um, we're very concerned about because they're, they're just nuts. And could we, could, could, we could get a decision that actually sets us back because correct. the people bringing the case have done such a poor job with it. They lose where it just, it's ill-considered. Would that be a fair? Yeah, and, and the, the fact is that uh, this, is, this is not something uh, that you do at home casually because you read something on the Internet, and it's not, you know, it's this. This, this, this is, is civil. Important. It's a civil rights litigation. That's right. That's a specialty. That is absolutely a specialty. You would not want me representing you in your divorce. You would not want me representing you in your bankruptcy proceeding. I don't know those areas of law. It's just not what I've spent my time doing. The law is specialized. It is. It is like everything else in society. You you learn to do a certain thing, and that's that's what you stick at. And so when you have people. Um, Running to court, and there's nothing we can do about it. I have no power to control. No, of course not. Uh, you know, crazy people from doing crazy things. All we can do, and we're working very hard at it, is we are working to bring together the best cases that we can imagine, and to get them filed, and to get the courts to resolve the issue based on legitimate claims by good, responsible, law-abiding citizens who just want to 
exercise very basic Second Amendment rights. And it's important that we do the right cases in the right order. Uh, in the right <clears throat> order. So you, they're, they're building blocks. That's correct. For example, uh, I had a question the other day, you know, why don't I challenge uh, the ban on, on carrying guns uh, in the post office? Well, for whatever reason, uh, carrying guns into a post office strikes a lot of people as as a stretch or controversial, and I'm not sure where that comes from. But the, but the bottom line is that we first have to secure the right to carry, period, mm-hmm. before we go off into saying whether it applies in certain you know, very controversial situations. Uh, I believe that people should be able to carry guns for self-defense on, uh, on a college campus. Uh, I don't see why uh, people who are responsible, law-abiding adults who are otherwise qualified to carry a gun. By Any, their, anywhere else. Anywhere else. You know, college campuses are not a crime-free zone. However, I'm probably not going to take a, a, a college campus case right now because uh, we first have to establish. Haven't laid down the building blocks. you gotta, you got to lay down the foundation. And if you start with things that are, you know, we, we have word limits when we litigate. The courts don't want to read a brief that's, you know, an encyclopedia. Hmm. Uh, and also judges and their law clerks are human beings. There is... Uh, the ability to focus on only so many areas of controversy. Sure. The Zell case, which was very narrow, very simple, we just wanted to make sure that you had the right to use a gun range. That took a lot of pleading. That took a lot of effort, and there was a huge uh, evidentiary record that had to be compiled. And so if someone asked me, you know, why didn't you challenge all the other things that Chicago's doing, it's not because I agree with those other things. It's because we had to have a narrow case about one thing that we thought we could make some progress on, and we were very pleased that we were able to do that. Uh, that can can I kind of jump in? Because it, it, what you're saying is there are things that you say, we can win that one out there, but in order to win that one, we have to win these two things before we get there to make to set the landscape so that we can then win that one. And that's correct. And you're not going to win everything at the end of the day because that's just not reality. So you try to get the low-hanging fruit first, and you try to do it in, in a more uh, uh, responsible way with good people who can make a, a solid argument. And it's not a... It's not about throwing everything up against the wall and seeing what sticks because, you know, you've got your rights and you feel very passionate about it. You have to address this in a strategic, careful manner. We didn't lose our rights overnight in one day, and we're not going to get them back overnight either. And I've told people forever, I said, look, being right is not enough to win. You know, you've got to work at it smart because people say, well, we're right. We should just, yeah, I get it. I understand the feeling. I, I have the same feeling. We're right. We ought to just be able to say, guys, we're right. Don't you get it? Well, it doesn't work that way. That's right. How do you find good plaintiffs? And, so, and what is a good plaintiff? Well, we have different ways. Well, a good. Well, how do we find them? First of all, there's uh, some people come to us. I mean, we get phone calls. The Second Amendment Foundation uh, people contact us, and and that's one way to get them. Uh, sometimes, if we're looking for something very specific, uh, you know, we're allowed to do that. It's a civil rights uh, case, mm-hmm. so we can we can organize cases. But uh, what makes a good plaintiff? Look, you're looking for someone who is sympathetic and, and someone with whom the public can, can empathize, someone who, who is uh, you know, not crazy, um, no criminal records. You want someone who can stay on message and present the message of, I need to exercise my rights because you know, th- this is important to my well-being and my safety and my feeling of, of personal security, and I have some, some uh, non-threatening entitlement to it. We want to stay away from people who have an axe to grind, people who are angry, 
people who are going to jump up and down. And it's not – look, there are things to be angry about in America. I'm not saying that you should – <laughs> Right. Uh, you, but it's all about winning. But it's about winning, and you have to, you have to be able to present um, – a, a practical and coherent and persuasive message as opposed to I'm angry and I got my rights and I'm going to give you a lecture about, you know, why right. everything sucks. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to get you where you That's need right. to go. Okay. And the minute or so we have left, where do we go from here? Well, um, I'm pretty sure that uh, in the Supreme Court will will continue taking important Second Amendment cases. The next big area for res, for resolution is the extent of the Second Amendment outside the home. There are a number of cases knocking at the door right now. There will be more that, that will uh, resolve that issue. Uh, there are a number of cases to uh, uh, that they're going to look at. Uh, categorical prohibitions on firearms and types of firearms, things like the handgun roster in California that we're litigating. Uh, I think that's a very uh, hot issue. And um, and we'll we'll just keep marching forward. I mean, there's no shortage of, of issues, but uh, we, um, we are limited by um, – we don't have – Well, resources. Resor- yeah, we have so many resources, and we try to get the, the highest bang for the buck value cases first. And in this case, resources is – Lawyers who, right. for instance, you and the core group that you work with, right. and frankly, dollars, That's because right. it takes an enormous amount of money to do this. www.saf.org. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Second Amendment Foundation, saf.org. That's right. If you want to get involved, you say, and people do, they ask me, what can I do? I said, well, I can just tell you, what, one thing you can do, if you really want to push for gun rights and want to advance this, write a check, because it just takes enormous buckets and truckloads and trainloads of money. It's not free. The other side is, is uh, unlimited taxpayer resources. You know, when the city of Chicago wanted to, to beat up on us uh, in the Zell case, uh, they had five lawyers working day and night uh, grinding stuff out, and we had, to, we had to match that and push back. That takes resources. That's it. Alan Gore, thank you so much thank for so being much. here. It's always a pleasure having you here. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, SAF is tax deductible. Somebody just threw a, a note at me here. So your contributions to SAF are tax deductible. 866-TALK-GUNS is the number here. I'm Tom Gresham. We're at the Gun Rights Policy Conference in Chicago. We'll be right back with more gun talk. Rights Policy Conference. I've been saying that for about a day and a half. Oh, yeah. As we watch this incredible lineup of speakers here, I mean, if ever there was a place to go where you see, uh, well, we call it the rock stars. I mean, the Alan Gurus who was just here, the people who are making a difference. And it's interesting, people are making a difference on all these different levels. When Alan got off here, we were just talking and saying, I really appreciate what you do. And uh, he said, well, I appreciate what you do. And then we look around the room here with everybody, and they get everybody in this room is doing something. So right now we're joined by my good friends, Doug Ritter and Phil Journey. Doug, of course, from Knife Rights. You may not know Phil. Phil is, has been a uh, gun rights activist for any number of years in 20. Kansas. How long? 20. 20, 25 years. Uh, state legislator yep. for a number of years and now a district judge. Yes. How in the world did that happen? Uh, I couldn't afford to be a state legislator anymore. Uh, and you know, I, I, it's always, always been about helping people. And so now I get to help a lot of people even when they don't want my help. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually an interesting take on it because there are people who need your help who don't want it, yeah. and you're able to help get them on a different path. Perhaps. Hopefully, hopefully on a better path. Hopefully, at least get them to make better choices in their lives than you know doing meth or whatever yeah. they were doing before. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Hold on to that. I do want to get Doug in here because we were talking. In fact, we did a presentation this morning on knife rights and kind of where we are. If you would, I mean, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about knife rights and. Describe it as the second front. The second front in the defense of our Second Amendment. Our Second Amendment. And knives are arms, the right to keep and bear arms. No question about it. And both Heller and McDonald, Mm -hmm. knives were included as part of those decisions and and citations. So, I mean, there's there's never any question. Knives are arms. We use them as tools every day, but they are arms on occasion. Right. And, And... what has been happening? I gave it the. Let me give the real quick rundown. Is that in a number of cities we now have more and more regulations and people actually being arrested, handcuffed, and thrown in the back of police cars, taken downtown because they have simply a pocket knife in their pocket in, for nothing in New else. York, that is exactly what is happening. Yeah. And the scary part is it's impacting guns as well. People don't make the connection, but many. New York permit holders, when they're arrested for a knife violation... It's an illegal weapon, right? Right. They lose their permit and their guns, and even if they beat it, which they usually will, because this is a totally bogus uh, operation... They may never get their it's guns back. Very, and people don't understand that. They say, well, you know, when this is all over, I'll get my guns back. Well, often you don't at all, period. Right. And, and say, well, how and can they can do spend, that? Well, they just do that. You can spend $10,000 or $20,000 mm-hmm. defending yourself, getting off. And you and still don't get your guns back. You still don't get your guns back. It's entirely at their discretion, and we know what their discretion is all about. You mentioned as we were going into this that, because uh, we were talking about kids, mm-hmm. and you said we're losing a generation. What are you talking about? We're losing a generation of kids. When we grew up, we carried a knife in our pocket in school. school. It was a tool. Actually, I I remember when a pocket knife was the prize you got from school for selling the most magazine subscriptions. And so they would do a presentation to the the girl got something and the boy would get a pocket knife. And, And now we have an entire generation of kids growing up where a knife is considered a weapon where even if you're caught on school grounds with a knife because you forgot to leave it at home, right, you can be expelled. A butter knife, it, a nothing knife. It, it, yeah. It's insanity. But the bottom line is these kids are growing up thinking of knives as weapons that they can't carry every day. And if we don't, we don't teach them otherwise, if we don't introduce them to knives through other extracurricular activities, right. then we're going to lose the battle. Because what you at that point you don't have the public support because they have no interaction with knives that you carry every day. Because once they get out of school, they, they haven't carried. They just they've been indoctrinated. We're back to that. Uh, I see exactly what you're talking about. Where what's knife rights working on right now? Currently, we have our lawsuit in New York City against mm-hmm. the city and the New York DA Vance. We have nine states so far that we're working on next year for legislation to either do our preemption that we already passed in Arizona, Utah, and New Hampshire, or to entirely get rid of bans against switchblades, search daggers, and stilettos, or a a limit, uh, a size limit on knives, uh, like we did in New Hampshire. Um, Nine states already, it's only September. So 
Our challenge is how do we pay for lobbying well, it's, it's, in it's nine just, states? It's just like we were talking about before. People don't understand how expensive it is because obviously everybody knows that lawyers cost money, but they forget that lobbyists cost money. Things as we were talking about earlier, things as simple as writing a bill that you want to have introduced into the legislature, it costs money because you don't write those yourself. You, you get professionals who do that kind of stuff generally. That's correct. Sim- simply the travel costs to go to a state, to go to a legislature, to give testimony at a hearing. I mean, before you know it, it's thousands of dollars. Phil, you know all about this, about you know working uh, in the I've, legislature. I've, I've had uh, lobbyists on retainer, uh, chaired a political action committee. Uh, now that I'm a judge, I have significant restrictions in my personal life that I have to deal with. Right. But you know, it was a trade-off that I was willing to accept. Um, but it does cost money to have a lobbyist in a state capital. Someone has to be there to watch the committee hearings to make sure because, witnesses are made aware of when they're Because you, you think it's going just where it's supposed to. If you don't have somebody there, it can go sideways on Oh, you. absolutely. I mean, the whole legislative process is intended to keep legislation from being passed. I mean, that's really? the whole process right there. So only the best, the most rational actually gets through both sides. Uh, so, you know, committee chairmen generally have absolute power over what they have hearings for. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes a little stroke, especially if the committee chairman's not on your side. You've got to get somebody to trade a favor in to get that hearing. Right. Uh, if the bill is not recommended out of committee, it never gets to the floor for a vote. Uh, there are all kinds of strategies. It's... Yeah, I used to say in the legislature, there's like two kinds of people here. There's ones that play checkers and ones that play chess. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's the chess players, players that can get through yeah, and, it. you know, you have to sit down, read the procedure book and uh, follow the rules and yeah. you can get things done. You have to play the game by their rules. You yeah. have to be, you have to know the rules better than they are. You have to have someone there. Tell people how to get more information on knife rights and, I mean, I mean, folks, this is real clear. The bottom line on this thing is it takes money, and it's donations or membership. You know, you can buy a membership to Knife Rights. $32. 32 bucks. And we spend every penny of that at work. We don't have a fancy headquarters. No, I don't I, get paid I, I a salary. I know this to be true. Yes. We work our butt off for your $32. So KnifeRights.org. Okay. That's KnifeRights.org. Uh, we'd love to have you join us in this fight. In the second front in the defense of our Second Amendment. There you go. All right. Hold on, guys. I'll be right back in a minute. We're going to keep Phil on here. We're going to let Doug go. We're going to bring in Kim Blanchard. A lot of stuff going on here. We're at the Gun Rights Policy Conference. You're not going to believe the lineup of people we have here. I'm Tom Gresham, and you're listening to Gun Talk. Imagine a pistol that can easily adapt to fit any hand size. A pistol you can quickly take down for maintenance without any tools. Now imagine this pistol has all the -the out-of-the-box accuracy and reliability of a Sig Sauer. Stop imagining and start shooting the new P250 from Sig Sauer. The P250 gives you the flexibility to change caliber, grip size, slide length, and trigger at will. It's the one gun that changes everything. Learn more at SigSauer.com. That's S-I-G-S-A-U-E-R.com. 
Visit galleryofguns.com today. At galleryofguns.com, you'll find our huge wholesale inventory of firearms on sale through 4,000-plus dealers nationwide. Choose from thousands of models from manufacturers like Glock, Ruger, Smith & Wesson, Springfield Armory, and Taurus, to name just a few. Not an auction site, you receive access to a huge wholesale inventory of firearms with exact pricing and all fees are included. Visit galleryofguns.com today. Looking for shooting instruction but don't know where to go? Well, we have it, and you can access hours of training and safety videos, which you can watch on your home computer. On GunTalkTV.com, we have top competitive shooters, the best in self-defense trainers, and folks who have hunted all over the world, helping you learn which gun to buy, how to use it, how to store it safely, and everything else you need to be a safe and competent shooter. We also have gun makers showing off their newest rifles, shotguns, and handguns. Doesn't matter if you're a veteran shooter or a complete beginner, you'll find what you need at GunTalkTV.com. You can check it out for free, and you can get full access for only $5.95 a month. That gives you unlimited access to hundreds of videos, and we're adding more all the time. Run the videos over and over to make sure you understand what's being said. Skip around. You're in control. Get smarter. Shoot better. Visit GunTalkTV.com. Hey, want to get that huge Brownells catalog for free? Now you can get this source for parts, cleaning products, gunsmith supplies, and tools for just a phone call. Brownells is famous for selection, service, and satisfaction. Tell them you heard about it on Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, and they'll send it to you for free. Call 1-800-741-0015. 1-800-741-0015. 1-800-741-0015. The Brownells catalog for free. 1-800-741-0015. All right, back with you, Tom Gresham from the Gun Rights Policy Conference, visiting with Phil Journey. Let me just uh, give you a, a quick rundown. Since Phil handed me his uh, his bio, was, and you're right, I, I mean, I left out an awful lot of stuff. KSRA president, which KSRA is? The Kansas State Rifle Association, okay. NRA's affiliate. I'm back on the board. Okay. Uh, Kansas Senate from 03 to 08, district judge currently, uh, NRA board of directors, who's on the board from 95 to 98, uh, NRA ILA, uh, member of the National Association of Political Consultants, you have been involved in politics and more specifically gun politics for a long time. And I was, uh, it was, I know you can't read my handwriting, but I was political activist of the year for ILA in ah. 93. So, oh. uh, what we did in 93 was we basically developed a pilot program that was expanded to 350 congressional districts in 1994 when the whole world changed and, uh, basically did grassroots, um, worked in a hundred campaigns, one level or another. Statewide, and um, I kind of miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a judge, you are really. Uh, I can't do anything. You can't I do can't any endorse candidates. I can't do anything publicly. Well, could you, you know? just tell me, if, uh, just between the two of sure. us, right? Sure. Just here. between us and yeah, the yeah. million people you got listening. That, that was the old Connie Chung thing, yeah. right? Just between you and me, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is anybody going to fall for that? Is sure. It? And joining us is Ken Blanchard. Now, Ken, it's been a long time since you've been on Gun Talk with me. Uh, Ken is a uh, former law enforcement, federal law enforcement officer. Uh, done an awful lot of interesting things, uh, with interesting with quotes around him. Uh, pastor of Patriots and uh, 
has a website, and that's one of my favorites, blackmanwithagun.com. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good, man. It's good to be back. It's good to see you. It's uh, you, You've done a lot of stuff, and we've talked about a lot of interesting things through the years. Um, I, I want to, I just want to bring you in here, and feel free to jump into the middle of this, because I, I guess I try to explain to people what Gun Rights Policy Seminar uh, Conference does and what you get out of it. And I had a bunch of people come up to me here and say, hey, I heard about this on your radio show, and I came to it, and I always say, well, what would you think? And it's like, they got like a three count because they don't actually know how to express it. Too much it's, happens at it's one right. time. It's, a, it's unbelievable. Uh, who's here and what you get out of it and, and just the information. It's the fire hose of information, isn't it? it? It is an excellent opportunity for someone that wants to learn about gun rights, someone that wants to network with other organizations. Like I came here mainly with the opportunity and the desire to talk about how to get children into the shooting sports. Okay. And, you know, I'm a hunter education instructor, and we've got 1,200 kids scheduled for one class next weekend. What? Yeah. And we've got 50 instructors. We do the largest one in the country at Lake Afton and I've outside of Wichita. Of thing. And we set up 18 stations, and they just run from one station to another with one-hour classes. And it's a phenomenal program, and there are some great dedicated people that help do it. But it's all about getting kids in. What was... What, what did I talk about here? Was I got told everybody to look to the left, look to the right. How much gray hair do you see? A lot of gray hair. A lot of gray hair. A lot of gray hair and no hair. And, so, you yeah, know, kids need real. to get away from the Wii. They need to get out, you know, away from their Xbox. Yep. They need to get outside. We need to get kids into the field hunting, into the shooting sports. Um, you know, my 11-year-old boy is just having the best time in the world at 4-H. Shooting clays. 4-H is one of the best shooting programs Absolutely. for kids in the country. Still. And, yeah. yeah. And so uh, that was the message I wanted to bring was right. how important it is to go to the next generation. And, you know, what did I tell them? You know, Twitter, when I started doing this, was like the noise birds made. But <laughs> we've got to reach those kids where they're at. And yeah. they're in social media. They're on Facebook, Foursquare. They're listening to Twitter. And that's how we've got to reach them to get them to develop the interest. So if you are, for instance, a gun range, a firearms instructor, a hunter safety instructor, why not have your own Facebook page, Twitter oh. account, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. And, you know, for example, with uh, clubs, one of the suggestions is is to have a scholarship program, you know, just for the kids in the in that area. Uh, the club membership. Oh, okay. You know, and have an essay contest. Yeah. And to uh, bring them in through other ways, like have a day on the Capitol, you know, like uh, have, have them go up. Right. Start them being pages. Because I can't tell you, in the legislature, state legislature, of course, there's no more pages in Congress now. Right. But in the state legislature, my service, I figured out about a third of the legislators served as a page at one time in their lives. And okay. that's where they got the bug. I'll be done. You know, to get involved in politics and to be public servants. And so there's all kinds of free things out there that gun clubs and organizations can do to help get children involved in the shooting sports and gain that understanding they need to carry on this great tradition of America. Good message, Phil. Thank you, sir. Tell you what, don't go anywhere, guys. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Ken Blanchard, black man with a gun. Yeah, if that gets your attention, good, because he's got a message that you need to hear, and he knows how to deliver, let me guarantee you. 866-TALK-GUNS. I'm Tom Gresham, and this is Gun Talk.
All right, we're back with you here, Tom Gresham, at the GRPC, Gun Rights Policy Conference, visiting with Phil Journey and Ken Blanchard, Black Man with a Gun. Uh, when you, what's that been, 10 years you've been doing that at least? Almost 20 now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Holy cow. Well, it's funny because my, my son always says, well, Dad, every time you say it's been this long, I just double it. And he's right, <laughs> once again. Yeah, Black a man with ride, a gun. What, what is that all about? It's about me doing what I do, and that's helping people. I'm I'm the glue. I sometimes I'll help people find the plaintiffs. They'll say, I need to qualify some people, and I don't have the time. I'm the guy that goes out and gets them. Okay. Um, sometimes I'm the person who actually counsels the uh, military the veteran who's going through some hard times, I'll listen. I'll take them offline. I'll, I'll be that one. I'm the one who makes you laugh when you had a long day. Um, everybody in this fight has a different part of it. Yes. And, and I'm sometimes the healer, the humor. Um, I try to be a uh, cross between both uh, pastor and uh, and funny man. And you are a pastor. Yes. Right? I have a small little church in Washington, D.C. Okay. Interesting combination. Uh, you know, and right now, what are you doing? I mean, because I know you're, all, as you say, you're all over the place, but specifically to people who are, are listening to this, how do they get more of Ken Blanchard? You can check out the podcast, um, Black Man with a Gun podcast. It's on iTunes, and from that, you'll see that there's a website on KenBlanchard.com or BlackManWithTheGun.com. What I'm doing is is helping Chicago right now. I'm really working with the groups that are starting. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes over my 20 years in doing this stuff, and I've seen what works and I can help those that are hurting. Because sometimes you get frustrated as a new activist because mm-hmm. you get into this thing and the door is shut on your face. Sure. And you're all full of fire and vinegar. And what happens? You get the door slammed in your face and you either quit or you blame somebody. Feels and I'm, over, I'm right there. Feels over nodding. Yeah. I'm right there. Amen. I will, I will, Amen, brother. I will, <laughs> I will jump right in there and fan the flames. I'll be your cheerleader. I'll tell you it's okay. What they're doing is normal. The next step that's going to happen is X. Be ready for it. And if you know what's coming, you don't get surprised by it. You also don't get depressed or discouraged by it. You say, that's just the process. They're going to throw up this roadblock and yep. this roadblock and this roadblock, and this is how we're going to go around every one of them. You yeah. know, political change comes in small increments. It is never a sea change where it just flips overnight. Mm-hmm. And you have to be ready for that and expect you know, as long as you're taking two steps forward, you get one step back, you're still a step ahead. And yeah. you have to come up with a methodology and figure out your goal and then figure out the steps to the goal and then start taking those steps. And when I worked on campaigns or worked on political goals or whatever they were, personal goals, it was always a five-year plan. You know, and that mm-hmm. five-year plan would evolve as time went on. And But it was always – I'm always looking five years out what I'm trying to do right. or trying to get accomplished in my life. and. That that's way, the way that, you've got to do it politically, the, the, too. The temporary setbacks don't set you back. It don't discourage you. You just say, that's just part of the process because i got a goal that's way out there. That's the truth. Some, some of our people are A people. They're, they're A personalities. They're pushing. They're, they got to win. Right. And somebody has to be the nurturer. And I've pulled back. Ah. And I will go back and get the ones that fall short. I make sure that everybody makes this race at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're glad to have you. We were talking about you know, before. Uh, at GRPC, we got a lot more diverse group than we had a number of years ago. As I said, we're not where we need to be yet, 
but it's getting better. It's getting better. So uh, we appreciate everything you're doing. Phil, thank you. It's good to see you again. My pleasure. I remember when we were on the first panel together, and you only had two radio stations. (laughs) Only two. And I I was doing television and radio at the same time. That's right. Now we got three. There we go. Yeah, 300. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for letting me on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm going to come up and shoot some pheasants with you, too. Let's go do it. I'm, I'm all about that. I tell you I what. I will get those looking. arrangements made. And for everybody who's listening, let me just tell you, Gun Rights Policy Conference, I mean, you guys know it's the place to be. It is the place to be. And it doesn't cost you nothing except your time. That's it. Just yep. show up. So Most fun you can have with your clothes on. There you go. <laughs> we got we, we to gotta talk. <laughs> Tom Gresham here. We'll be right back with more gun talk. <laughs> 